This is episode 223 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are, The Three Biggest Killers to a Family Budget, Spend Less, Save More, and How Church Life Will Change in a Post-Apocalyptic World. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, you can make sure that you get the Prepper Website Podcast delivered to your preferred device without fail. We make it very easy for you to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or any other favorite podcast network. All right, guys, so welcome to episode 223, another week of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, if you are not a member of uh, the Prepper Website Facebook group, I'd love to invite you to come on over. You know, we have some good conversations. We don't, I mean, there's not like constant, you're not, there's not like four or five posts every single day. Uh, you know, you'll get one or two maybe a day, uh, but sometimes people asking advice and, and asking, you know, giving, uh, asking for advice and other people giving advice, especially with what's been going on in the cold in the, on the East Coast and different people have experienced some, some different things. And so it's a great, uh, a great place for newbie preppers and then also those who are experienced. Um, and then those who, who might not know, I mean, I, like I, I said before, I live down here in the South, so I, I don't have a lot of experience up North when you guys are talking about like negative numbers, you know, cold temperatures, you know, that's totally crazy to me. But, um, you know, you get to you get to find out a lot of information. Sometimes stuff that you don't you know hear uh, on the podcast, or sometimes things that you don't read in articles and things like that. And so it's very very interesting. So uh, you can come and you know, I mean, just kind of be a lurker for a while. There's a lot of people that do that. They come and they just hang out and they read and they don't necessarily comment until maybe they feel comfortable doing that. And so welcome you to do that. Um, I'm very proud of what's going on over there. I wanted to bring up, I was going through uh, some of my alternative news uh, feeds, and I, I don't always get to hit them every single day, especially during when we've been on break. John Martin Armstrong or armstrongeconomics.com, I normally hit his. His is one that I, I try to hit every single day, um, but uh, just because lately it's been crazy for me, I haven't. This was posted back on January 4th, 2018. Uh, the title was Housing Begins to Crash. Australia, New Zealand, and London. And it's a very short, uh, just one paragraph actually, is property values are starting to crash hard in Sydney, Australia, New Zealand, and London. Politicians are simply idiots. They are targeted, they, they all targeted foreigners buying property as the leading cause for the rise in housing prices. What they failed to grasp is that people spend more money when they think they have equity in their homes. Whenever housing starts to decline, so does consumer spending. And guess what? You get the economic downturn. Duh. So, you know, we, we've talked about that. That's kind of what uh, caused our problems back in 2008. And that crisis was the housing crunch. And so you're starting to see that in other places in the world. And, and you just start to wonder, man, is it, you know, is it coming to America next? And, um, you know, so just wanted to kind of throw that out at you. And if you are not... Uh, someone who goes to the alternative news hub over on Prepper website, I'm going to welcome you to do that because that's just a great place where you can get a lot of information, just alternative news-wise there. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our first article of the podcast. Uh, This first article comes to us from oldworldgardenfarms.com. And normally when we uh, read an article from oldworldgardenfarms.com. It's usually a gardening article, right? Something along those lines. It's been a while since I've read one, just because uh, you know we've been uh, you know going we've been in this winter season now. But uh, this is actually a good one here, uh, talking about family budgets. And you know how I feel about economics and being frugal and trying to live a frugal life. Uh, trying to spend less than you actually make so that you can put some money away for, uh, you know, if times get rough. And uh, I think it's just smart to be able to make some good financial decisions. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I hear from a lot of people, either on comments or just emails, is like, Todd, I don't have a lot of money to prep. 
I don't have a lot of money to to buy things. And of course, the first thing is like you don't have to, you know, prepping is not all about buying gear. Yeah, some of it is, and yeah, you do want to have some. There are some things that you should have, but it's not about buying gear. But if we change some of our lifestyle and we change some of the things that we do, we might have more money to where we could put it in places devoted maybe to paying down debt, making sure that we have a, a three to six month emergency fund, making sure that we can uh, pay for things that come up like if our, our cars break down or, or whatever. You know, um, we're just talking about this with my brother-in-law. We were looking at the, uh, or we were talking about what was going on in Massachusetts where uh, this Bombo Genesis, uh, it, it, basically, you know, the, the, the high tide came in and then uh, it covered streets and everything and then it froze. So you have cars sitting in, in ice basically on, basically on the street. So if you can imagine like a flooded, if you haven't seen this, you got to go look it up. But if you can imagine a flooded street, and then that flooded street becoming ice. And so you have all these cars. And I'm like, man, I guess those cars are like completely done for, right? And uh, man, it just, you know, all the all the crazy. Not to mention the fact that it's all seawater and salt water and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, all, how all that plays into it. But, uh, you know, those those that ice is not going away anytime soon. I guess they're going to be chipping away at it. I, I don't know how all that works. I'm very, very interested in, in that but uh, crazy, crazy stuff going on over there. So if your car just breaks down or, you know, you have a, a situation like that, you don't have money to replace it or money to fix it or money to, to buy an, a junker for a while to get you by. I mean, that's a tough situation to be in. So being financially set, I think, is a very, very important preparedness item that you need to make sure that you have in place. So if you are new to preparedness, I know a lot of you are because you're finding the podcast on iTunes and you're finding the podcast out there and you're you're coming and you're listening. Uh, please, you know, look at your finances and and since we're here at the beginning of 2018, maybe make that a goal where you sit down and you do a budget. And if you're, if you're married, you sit down with your spouse uh, and you talk about your finances and you talk about a budget and you talk about spending less and finding ways. And so this article talks about three major ways a lot of the times because we live in our modern world and we're like, man, we need this stuff. This is just normal stuff but you when you think about it i mean it's not just you know 10 15 no not 10 but let's just say like 20 years ago a lot of this stuff here that we're going to talk about wasn't even in play uh life got you know life went on without it so let's go ahead and jump into this one again like i said oldworldgardenfarms.com the three biggest killers to a family budget spend less save more let's start reading when it comes to a family budget, the best way to have more money is to save on what you already spend. We all seem to start off the new year with great family budget goals. Goals such as uh, earnings, earning a bigger paycheck, spending less, paying down debt, and of course saving more. Many of us even add in personal well-being goals too, such as exercising more, eating healthier, and trying to reduce stress levels. Sadly, way too often, all of these goals fade into oblivion long before February makes its debut. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially when you realize all of the above goals are all related and centered around one basic concept, the act of simplifying. And when you simplify, eliminate, and or reduce costly, unneeded, and unnecessary things, great things do indeed happen to you and your family budget. So, how can you simplify a great place to start is reducing three of the biggest wasted expenses to a family budget listed below. Reducing all of them will not only help you stretch your dollars and budget farther, but help you and your family eat better, get more exercise, and live an amazingly healthier lifestyle. The three most wasted expenses to a family budget. Number one, cell phones and data packages. It's funny that something that was a luxury a few years back now seems like a necessity to everyone. Cell phones and data packages have become one of the biggest expenses to the bottom line of a family budget. And so much of it is simply unnecessary. Take a look at how much your family's cell phones cost you last year. Is it really necessary to have the newest phone, the biggest data package, the ultimate fastest speed? All of those come with hefty price tags to the family budget. And scaling back on them can save you and your family big money. 
Avoid constantly upgrading your phone to the nearest to the newest model and the newest features. Those costly upgrade contracts keep you on the hook for big money and hold your family budget hostage. You can save hundreds if not thousands by simply taking a smaller package and keeping an older model phone. Sadly, we have become an impatient society of having to have the latest and greatest and the absolute fastest speed. If it takes a few more seconds to get an answer or you need to wait until you are connected to Wi-Fi, this may sound crazy, but you will still live. Really, you will. Number two. Well, let me just go back on this one just a second before uh, um, before I move on. Uh, the cell phone, man, it's so, it's crazy. I mean, you know, we used to get, I remember my big, the first phone that we had. Uh, we had 99 minutes a month. And it was my dad, uh, a salesman had come in for Houston Cellular to one of his businesses. And he had given this to us. Uh, we we were traveling to his shop in Spring, Texas, and so you know probably about a 30, 45 minute drive on the Beltway, and uh, you know we we decided to go ahead and get these phones, and they were going to be for emergency reasons if if you know someone needed to contact someone because you broke down or whatever, you know, and so we went from that to all of a sudden moving into. Um, you know, buying the next step and next plan, and then you you're always looking for the better plans. And I'll be honest, we have a pretty good plan right now. Nowadays, you can take your phone number and go to any cellular provider, so uh, it's not an issue of having to leave your phone number and and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the thing that you're looking for is the best deal. And so there's a there's a lot of great deals out there. We actually have a really good family plan that we're on. Um, but, you know, it is a couple of hundred dollars, but we have a lot of people on there, including my parents. And so that, you know, that helps them out. It helps us out. It helps everyone out. And, uh, you know, that that's a good deal. So I would, uh, you know, having a cell phone is a very, very uh, great tool to have. But yeah, don't go spending money on big old data packages. You know, uh, if you have your Wi-Fi, if, if you have Wi-Fi in your house, I mean, when you come into the house, there's no reason why you should be using data anymore, right? So you can turn your data off. If you go to work, so my work has Wi-Fi. I can go right into right into that Wi-Fi. So I just leave my Wi-Fi on. I leave the house. I, I go off my Wi-Fi. I'm on my data for a little bit while I'm driving to work. And then when I get to work, I autom automatically get logged into the Wi-Fi at work. And so that, you know, saves so much on my data plan right there. And if you if you have that possibility, that's really what you want to do and save on that data plan. Uh, it's it's just kind of crazy. And then, of course, when you start looking at videos on your data plan, you're going to, uh, you're, you're downloading a lot, a lot of bandwidth, and you're using up a lot of data doing stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, those kinds of things you might want to consider. But I know a lot of people that just do the the monthly, you know, they, they go and, and buy, uh, you know, a certain amount of minutes and that seems to work for for some people and that might be a way to kind of keep you uh, from from spending a whole, whole lot of money and maybe be keeping track of of your data a little bit better but cell phones i do believe cell phones are a very very important tool i think you just need to be smart find the best plan and don't you don't need uh you know the cadillac plan to to get by definitely all right, and, and, and you don't always need the newest phone. I mean, they, you know, it's funny. I, I see people with new phones all the time, and like, you know, I keep my phones for for. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. I went to uh, ISTE, which is the International Society for Technology uh, it, it, uh, Education Environment. I don't know, something like that. Anyway, so it was here in San Antonio. We all went. And I um, mean, this is like probably the biggest conference I've ever gone to. It's an international conference. It took up the whole uh, conference center in in San Antonio. I mean, it was it was huge. And so we're going around, and I, I'm in one of the the digital playgrounds, and they're talking they're talking about Google uh, navigation and na navigator or whatever uh, for virtual field trips and things like that. And uh, one of the guys like he has all these old Nexus fives. 
And he's like, uh, yeah, the Nexus 5 is a really old phone, but they're really great for, you know, to use to use this software or whatever. And I'm like, I take out mine. I'm like, I'm carrying a Nexus 5. I'm like, uh, this is my, this is mine. This is not yours. This is mine. You know, like people are looking at me like, oh, my gosh, you're here at a technology conference and you, you got like a super old phone. And I just keep mine for a, for a while. I'll tell you what, one of the secrets is, is not to download a bunch of crap to your phone. That, just like you download crap to your, to your laptop or your computer and it starts to bog down and sometimes you're downloading stuff and you don't even know what you're downloading. It's like, hey, this is a game. This looks like a free game, but you don't know what you're doing or what you're downloading. I truly believe that you know a lot of that kind of stuff begins to slow your, your phone down. It's a mini computer. And so um, you start downloading all these apps and things like that that you don't really need. And it's like, hey, I'm just going to try this one out. And so and so say this and this. And I try to keep my phones very, very lean and only keep what I know that I'm going to, to use and, and not uh, keep a bunch of crap on my phone. I think that that will help. Uh, keep your phone running at uh, top speed and uh, keep it, you know, just uh, make it a better experience for you. All right, so I know I went long on that one. Number two is this food and groceries. Grow some of your food. And we've heard this a lot and uh, definitely coming from old world, world garden farms. I mean, you expect this one. Uh, one of the biggest expenses to the family budget is food. Feeding a family is expensive, whether it's buying grocery, groceries or eating out. One of the easiest, most simple ways to save money is to grow your own food. Planting a garden is like planting money. Not only will it save big dollars on your family budget, it will provide you and your family with fresh, nutritious food and plenty of fresh air and exercise to boot. We have used our simple raised row gardening method to grow about three-fourths of our food now for the last seven years. It's amazing how much that has saved when it came to feeding a family of six. In fact, when we had all four at home it was a lifesaver there are so many people with backyards full of grass that are just waiting to help save money and feed the family instead of mowing consider growing see raised row gardening so there's a link here you might want to click on um there might be you know when you talk about gardening i completely agree that you should be doing this and the more you can involve if you can involve the whole family the better sometimes it's like it's one person out there gardening and life happens you know, whatever, you know, it's like, you know, if you can get the whole family out there, I think that's better. But there might be some initial upfront cost. I mean, there are ways to do it without those costs. Um, but, you know, so there are there are ways out there doing it. You got to do your research and all that kind of stuff and and look for materials out there. People that are, you know, you might want to find some uh, horse manure that people are giving away and you're hauling it to your backyard if you want to do something like that. Um or, you know, manure, whatever you want to, you know, those those types of, uh, you can, you know, till up your, your garden and whatever. So there might be, if you do raised beds, you're going to have some, some costs there. Um, so not only are there like upfront costs that you might have to fork out, but there's going to be a learning curve. Um, he's talking about here, that it's been the last seven years, and there is a, a learning curve that you are, uh, that you need to make sure that you are, paying attention to and that you take some time to get out there and actually start growing some things because uh you know a lot of people i know buy those vaults you know those seed those seed vaults and it's like okay when the poop hits the fan i'm going to start gardening and like no that is not the time to start gardening um you need to you know when the poop hits the fan you need to already know how to garden you need to know what to look for you need to know how to do things and so that's why it's so important to be gardening now not only do you have the the benefits of you know all the benefits of gardening and, and and the food and all that kind of stuff but you're getting a skill where maybe back in the days you know people had it was just people had that we were an agricultural society people had gardens you know and and they just knew how to do that kind of stuff and nowadays is we're just so far removed from that you need to practice that you need to get some of that stuff going so maybe you know if you are looking forward to uh you know springtime coming up and you know you want to start getting garden beds ready and those kinds of things just know that there there might be some upfront 
uh, cost. I mean, you can do it very, very cheaply. I know I'm saying that, that there's going to be some upfront costs, but some people are like, Todd, I, I did it and I didn't pay anything, you know? And so it's very, very possible to do that. You just got to, you know, be ready to put in some work and, uh, you know, maybe think outside the box a little bit. But uh, it's something that I, I do recommend to everyone. You should be doing that. Number three is this, cable TV premium packages. Cable TV and premium television packages are right up there with cell phones and one of the biggest wasted expenses to a family budget. Cable television has become unbelievably expensive, especially if you add in all-inclusive premium movies and entertainment packages that can push monthly bills to $150 to $200 and more. First and foremost, all of that couch time is certainly counterproductive to a healthy, active lifestyle. You might be amazed at how productive you become when you simply turn it off. Secondly, there are so many alternatives to high-end cable TV now. You can easily save hundreds off of your monthly bills and still enjoy a reasonable amount of TV entertainment, all without costing your family a fortune. Eliminating all of the couch time also has some incredible side effects, like perhaps growing your own backyard garden this year. Here's to saving more and living healthier in the coming year. Jim and Mary. To receive our three home garden recipe and Simple Life articles each week, sign up for our free email list. All right, so definitely uh, go do that. i got to agree here with the cable TV. Uh, if, if it wasn't for some channels that we, that we watch, that my wife watches, I probably we would be able to get away with completely getting rid of cable TV. We have thought about the Roku uh, in, in going that route in, in finding. I was talking with my brother the other day and, and some of the stations that, uh, that we were talking about. I was like, okay, hey, you can go with Roku and uh, completely go that route and not even have to go with cable television uh, anymore. And so that would, you know, that might be something that we're even looking into. I mean, I'm always trying to, to fight with, uh, you know, the, the utility bills, you know, like cable and, and, and my phone and different things like that, even insurance. And that's another thing. Sometimes just calling and, and talking to these people and saying, hey, look, I don't like how much I'm paying here, right? Uh, I've got, I, I'm with you guys and I got in the mail that I can go with this other company and they will give me this, you know? And so what's to keep me from going with them? Because that's, you know, I would be saving so much money going with them. And a lot of the times you'll be surprised that they will meet that price or knock it down. There are some companies that are really stupid that don't. I mean, there have been times before where, uh, for instance, in, in Texas, if you're in Texas, there's something called uh, powertochoose.org. And uh, you can go there and you can type in your zip code and you can find the cheapest uh, power provider, electrical provider right and so it's really weird the way it works here i don't know what what it's like in in where you're at but uh center point energy uh owns all the lines and so i guess these energy providers they uh, broker energy and all that kind of stuff and then they sell it back so they're buying it and then selling it and so you can lock in some really really great prices so there was a time where I was looking at my electric bill. I'm like, man, this is kind of crazy. And, and I had just heard of Power to Choose. And I went and I found this crazy low, low uh, amount you know, of, of per kilowatt hour. And it was a big, big savings. And I called up the, the company that I was with. And I said, look, hey, I'm with this company right here. And uh, I, I'm with, I'm with y'all and this other company is offering this. Will y'all match that? And like, no, sir, we do not match that. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go with them. Well, sir, you can do that if you'd like. And so I went ahead and signed up with these people and uh, I'm with them. And so I call and, I, and it's already transferred over. Right. And so I call these people and like, Hey, I need to cancel service with y'all because I have service with oh well sir we'd like to offer you you know that deal like no you idiot i just i just asked you i called y'all before and asked y'all you would have saved me a whole lot of trouble of going with this other company but y'all didn't you know y'all didn't offer it it was only when i called to cancel service do y'all do that and i don't know why some some companies do that that's really stupid but they'll probably lose a lot of um they they lose a lot of customers doing things like that so that is one. That's another. If, if I don't know if your state has that or not, where you can go and you can just check out all the different providers. But I have saved a lot, a lot of money, and you can lock in, uh, you know, percentages of uh, or you know, uh, 
your your electric provider, uh, how many cents per kilowatt, and it's just amazing uh, how much you wind up saving. And so I know uh, at one point my neighbors um, they've already sold and they've moved on, but at one point uh, he had he was in trucking and he had lost his job, uh, and that's that's another thing. I mean I always remember him. He was in he was always staying busy, and uh, you know he lost his job in trucking, and his wife was a nurse, and they made really great money. And then she hurt her back and couldn't work anymore. And then he lost his job. And then all of a sudden, I mean, they're trying, they're fighting for every penny that they could make. And so they, uh, they were looking at that and we were talking about electricity and he, he had never heard about, I mean, he did, this guy was like my parents' age, right? He'd never heard about power to choose.org and I told him about it. And then later on, he's like, man, I saved so much money moving from there. But eventually he did wind up, they sold their house and they wound up moving with his, uh, with his daughter, which I, you know, I believe that's going to wind up happening a lot. I think as, as we move forward with the financial situation, economic situation, uh, I think that's going to happen more and more. Uh, and so we'll just, uh, you know, we'll see how uh, things progress there. But uh, that's what he wound up doing. But you can save a lot of money doing it that way. So, um, you know, call your insurance company too. I mean, my insurance company, I called. I talked about that before. Uh, if you didn't hear that story, I was calling to add one of my sons to it. And I was not, I was, I was preparing myself for a sticker shock. And uh, he called me back. And I actually wanted up, I added a kid and saved money. Because uh, I was able to, I qualified for a new thing. And uh, that was totally crazy. I mean, I saved like five, it was only $5 a year, but I was expecting to pay hundreds more a year because I was adding, you know, a young teenager onto insurance. And so call your insurance, you know, call, take some time and, and call these people and see if you can, you know, arrange uh, and, and, and deal, you know, get a better deal and save some money. And then when you save that money, don't just start <laughs> farting it off on other things, man. Put that money, start putting that money away first make sure you have your emergency fund and then start paying down bills and then start racking up some money for things you know things that are important and so you're able to to add to that and and man there's I don't know, do the dave ramsey thing you definitely need to go get that book if you've never uh, read that book uh, the money um, the total money makeover i believe I, I read it back when it was uh, financial peace and we actually did it at the church years ago and uh, so I think uh, the total money makeover is a is a different book, um, but it has the same principles in there. So if you haven't read that one, definitely you need to invest just a little bit of money and go buy that book. You might even be able to buy it at like half price books or something like that. All right, talked a lot about that one. Let's go ahead and move on. I was very very surprised to find this next article over at theprepperjournal.com, and uh, because it was entitled How Church Life Will Change in a Post-Apocalyptic World, and of course, being a pastor and a Christian, I've written on uh, different articles like this before, and so when I saw this one, I mean, this piqued my interest, and I uh, definitely wanted to read it, and definitely, I know there's a lot of Christians out there who listen to the podcast, and so, uh, and even if you're not a Christian, this might uh, if we really ever get to this type of scenario in our in our world, um, you might start to think about, hey, well, so what is going on? And so uh, this kind of it kind of um, is a little special to me <laughs> right now uh, because we did uh, we've been talking about the last days and end time prophecy and uh, did a special presentation at church today. I actually showed a video. It's kind of like, you know, you don't normally do something like that on a Sunday morning, but I did. And I showed a video called The Daniel Project. If you have Amazon Prime, you can go ahead and uh, you can see it for free. It's called The Daniel Project. One of the reasons why I went ahead and showed it was because uh, James, James, or, uh, yeah, James Jacob Prash uh, is like one of the main uh, people on there who's, who's given opinions and different things like that. And I kind of respect his opinion when it comes to uh, theology and Christianity, and I like his viewpoints. And so because, you know, there's a lot of craziness when you go to Amazon Prime and a lot of craziness on end-time prophecy, but I like his viewpoints, and so we decided to, to, to share that out. And uh, it's crazy that this the Daniel Project was written or was released in 2011, and some of the things they talk about are starting to happen, have already happened. And it's crazy, you know. So anyway, um, when you start talking about 
uh, you know, church and uh, the apocalypse and the poop hitting the fan. You start thinking about the end days and what that would mean and all that kind of stuff. And so, anyway, this uh, a little bit more special significance to me, uh, I guess, starting today. And so, let's go ahead and read this one again at theprepperjournal.com, how church life will change in a post-apocalyptic world. All right, here we go. I have been a pastor for 20 plus years. Since I discovered prepping, I have something, sometimes wondered how life will change for churches and pastors in a post-grid-down scenario. Even if you are not a believer, your community will be affected. Here are my thoughts on how church life will change. Most of these ideas will apply to all religious groups in general, not just Christians and churches. Life in a grid-down situation will become extremely difficult. Will faith endure when people face incredibly hard decisions? The closest biblical parallel is the prophetic period and the latter period of the Old Testament. Some believers will feel like they've been abandoned or punished by God and or that God does not love them anymore. All those unconditional promises by clergy speaking for God will seem like broken promises. Some may lose hope and forsake the faith. There will be questions of sin, God's punishment, and whether faithful believers can still claim a covenant relationship with God. Can one still believe and hope in God when the material things have been stripped away? Can one still hope in God when one sees so much death and devastation? How can one trust in a God who allows so much pain and suffering? Church leaders will be severely challenged by such questions and complaints. Hey, uh, so I'm, I might stop in between here and just kind of uh, comment on a little bit of this. Uh, one of the, the authors that I like to read is Corey Ten Boom. If you've never uh, heard her story, um, her family, they were Christians, but they were, uh, if you can go find, and you might be able to find it on YouTube, The Hiding Place is a story that um, um, is, is, is based on their life, but they hid Jews during World War II, uh, but they were, they were sold out, and they went to, they went to the concentration camps, and uh, you know, her, her, uh, she was separated from family. Uh, she had some great stories about, you know, how, how God moved. But even at that, her sister Betsy died in the concentration camp. And then she was eventually let go. And she, you know, she was, she would tell the story and she was a great person of faith. I remember on YouTube, there is a video of her and, uh, she's talking about the church. So when the church in China, so when eventually the, the, when the communists took over and then they opened it up and then people were able to still kind of go over there, she would talk with people in the underground church and uh, you know, she talking with some ministers and stuff like that. And, and what you know the biggest problem for Christians back when they started uh, getting the persecution from the communists was that you know, they believed that you know, life was going to be great and life was going to be good. And there was never, ever, you know, if you gave your life to the Lord, that you were never going to experience any, you know, hard times. Now you were going to live a blessed life. Kind of like some TV preachers and some people that, you know, talk now in America, right? And so, uh, you know, this pastor was talking with her and, and she, he was, he was telling her, Tell people to be prepared for hard times, you know? And so that translates, there's a lot of people who believe that Christians will be raptured before any type of tribulation might happen here on this earth. And if that happens, great. I mean, the, the saying is, uh, you know, uh, hope for uh, a pre-tribulation rapture, but be prepared for a mid-tribulation rapture or, you know, or, or going through the tribulation, Right. And so when you look at the Bible, you know, God, I mean, God's people did encounter tribulation. God's people did encounter death and destruction and, and all those kinds of things. A lot of the reason because they were disobedient, but there was even righteous people that, that felt it and people that were displaced and, and, and those can, you know, righteous people that, yeah, I just got through uh, reading the book of Jeremiah and, you know, Jeremiah's like, hey, uh, you know, surrender to the king of Babylon. And if you surrender to the king of Babylon, you you will live. And so, you know, they, they moved you away from Israel and you did live and they did prosper. There was a big Jewish 
um, you know, a Jewish society that prospered in Babylon. And at one point, I believe I read that there was more Jews. Um, you know, there's a lot of Jews who did want to leave Babylon because and come back to Israel when the Persians allowed them to come back because you know they were living successful lives where they were. And so uh, the, even the righteous people who obeyed, and, you know, obeyed Jeremiah and obeyed the word of Jeremiah, they wind up going to Babylon. But they still left their homes. They still left, you know, they, probably their livelihoods and all those kinds of things. And and uh, you know, they 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 had to go to a whole new country. So they did encounter hardships and and those kinds of things. So even the righteous people do experience those kinds of things. So this pastor, this Chinese pastor, was talking to Corey Tin Boom and letting her know, like, hey, don't tell people to be prepared for hard times, to be prepared for tribulation. And so, you know, preachers that do not talk about that, I think that is just, that you're, you're doing your people a disservice. And pastors who don't talk about prophecy and end time, you're doing a disservice. You're not teaching the whole Word of God. The Word of God um, has prophecy all throughout it. You know, Jesus, you know, prophesied. And so I don't know why people don't... Uh, don't uh, take that a little bit more serious. I, I know it's because it's scary. I know because it's hard to understand. I know because you know you don't want to you know talk about dates and things like that. And you don't have to talk about dates. You have to talk about being aware. And that's uh, you know just like you you stay aware in, in preparedness. You stay aware of what's going on around you, and, and you pay attention to some of the things that are happening uh, in the Middle East and in in the world. And it's just very very. Uh, eye-opening when you start doing those kinds of things. So I uh, went really long on that one, and so uh, I hope I'm not boring you on that, but uh, I think it's a very, very important thing. And even those of you who maybe are not Christians and believers, I would encourage you to start looking at some end-time prophecy. And uh, again, go go look at Dan the Daniel Project on Amazon Prime if you have that. It's free. Go watch that. It's an hour and, I think, 15, 20 minutes. Watch that, and then look where we have progressed. They talk about Iran and Turkey and Russia, and, and this was in 2011. And then go and, and, and look at where we are now. You know, Iran, Turkey, and Russia were not, you know, they were not allies at that time. They were not linked up at that time, and now they are, and it's really, really crazy. All right, so, all right, so let's go ahead and <laughs> just move forward here. One practical change is that people will stop driving to church. Imagine neighborhood churches in which people walk or bike to a church with others from your neighborhood. Even if vehicles still function after an EMP, people will probably not use precious fuel to drive 20 or 40 minutes to church in another community. That means that local churches will reflect the people in your geographic area. This may have good and bad consequences. It will be positive in that seeing your neighborhood in church Neighbors in church will reinforce your relationship with your neighbors, which may lead to a cooperative arrangement and bartering with neighbors you trust. This will mean that you will get to know some neighbors that you rarely see now. Perhaps this means letting your neighbors borrow your rooster for a week in exchange for some eggs, or your neighbors plowing your large garden in exchange for a part of a hog. Maybe this means the people on your block getting together for a winter social event in someone's shed or barn. However, this may be negative if one has a bad experience with certain neighbors. For example, let's say you agree to rototill a garden for your neighbor in exchange for his cutting firewood for you. You did your rototilling, but your neighbor has not yet done his part. Now, winter has begun and your wood supply is growing short. How will you feed, feel about seeing this neighbor in your church? Or imagine that things have been disappearing in your neighborhood. No one knows who the thief is, but your neighbors suspect that it's someone from your neighborhood. When you go to church, you find yourself wondering if it could be someone in your congregation. Losing electricity will affect churches who, whose current pastors commute more than a few miles. If your pastor drives more than a few miles to your church, he will not likely continue serving your church in a grid-down scenario. Consider if an elder or a person in your neighborhood could step in as the pastor in an emergency. There will be a large demand for pastoral services like leading worship, teaching Bible studies, pastoral, pastoral care, and counseling. Remember how church attendance soared in the months after 9-11? I foresee a similar response to a grid-down scenario. However, when U.S. dollars have little value, how will pastors and clergy be compensated? There is no small issue for pastors who have a family to feed. 
Back in the 1800s, it was a common it was common for pastors on the frontier to be paid in garden produce, eggs, a chicken, part of a hog that was butchered, or venison after a deer was shot. While that will help pastors, it will not likely be sufficient to provide for his family's needs. Thus, it would be wise for prepping pastors to learn a couple of other skills to help provide for their family. Um, and I totally agree with that. I am a bivocational pastor, and so uh, you know that's uh, you know there's other skills there definitely. Um, let me see here. One of the things when they talk about here uh, a need for pastoral services. Now I have talked about what I plan if if for some reason there was a situation where we could not get to we were stuck in our neighborhood and we could not get to our to my dad's property out in East Texas. I would. Uh, I've talked about how I would rally my neighborhood together and go through, you know, plans and contingencies and 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 all those kinds of things that we would need to start talking about and and getting those things together. But at the same time, I would always also be uh, calling people to like a Sunday morning service and letting them know that they are, you know, that we're going to gather over here under this tree or at this place and uh, have a little service, uh, you know, in those regards. My church right now is it is you know 25 30 minutes away and so i wouldn't be able to get to it and so uh you know and then everybody that comes to our church i mean they come from all over it's not just that area where that where the church is at and so you know that's one thing to to consider there and it's another thing uh if you are if you are a, a pastor you go to a church like that you got to be thinking about okay hey if something like this happened what would i be doing so i want to talk a little bit more about that here in a minute all right, uh, continuing on, look at utilities for church buildings and parsonages. If your facility demand, depends on natural gas or electricity, you may be wise to make contingency plans. For example, will your church building and or parsonage have a wood stove for winter heat? Are there enough trees and forests in your areas to provide wood for everyone who will be cutting it down? Will an outhouse be built behind your building after a disaster? Will you have a way to produce drinking water when electrical pumps fail? These challenges will come up quickly after the grid goes down. Thus, it's wise to have plans and materials in place now. If you and your church do not have contingency plans in place, it will take you longer to respond to a radically different way of life after a major disaster. Completely uh, completely agree with that about the contingency plans, but not only for churches, but also businesses. And uh, again, just like uh, families do as well, you have plans. When times get hard, there may be congregations that don't meet in a traditional church building. Some congregations may meet in a shed, barn, picnic shelter, at a park, a backyard, especially if a church building is not available. Another option is for two congregations to share a building. Can a congregation play a role in forming mutual survival groups? Some pastors know their members well. If you're thinking of asking a member to be part of your group, you may want to ask your pastor for his thoughts on that person. He may recommend that person positively or he may suggest being leery of that person. This is like asking your pastor to be a personal reference. There may be others in your church that you may want to ask to be a reference. Discernment is crucial when asking others to become part of your group. When asking someone for their personal thoughts on another person, assure that person that what's, what is said, what he or she says will be kept confidential and then kept and then keep it in confidential or then keep it confidentially. All right, so let me uh, let me stop right there and comment on this just a little bit. I have heard from so many people over the years that they have brought up prepping to their pastors, and their pastors just laugh them away or look at them like they're a kook. And so, those of you that go to church right now, you and you are you are prepping. You know if your pastor is for it or not. You already know that. So you you def you might not if they are not for it especially, I mean, if they're talking about end times and stuff like that, they might be a little bit more um, apt to, to, to think that way. Um, but, you know, it doesn't, it's not for sure. There's just, I just have heard over the years how many people have had bad experiences and then sometimes they bring it up and uh, and then they, they almost can kind of get shunned by their pastor because they brought up something like that, you know. And uh, so be careful with that. Uh, I like the idea of, you know, trying to find someone that you have common common ground with. So for instance, let me give you an example. When we were in between churches, we were we were going to um we were going to a church and got to know the pastor. We, we kind of went to the dinner a couple of times with he and his wife. 
and uh, you know we talked about uh, what was going on at that time. I had Prepper Church, and he knew that I was a pastor, and and uh, you know I let him know that you know there was a there was a, a an outlet for for messages that I felt the Lord was giving me, and I could write them down, and I was also doing YouTube and and, and different things like that, and. Um, we talked about, you know, different people uh, or different aspects of it. And, you know, his wife kind of grew up on a farm. So, she, you know, the, the ideas of, of, of uh, you know, having chickens and things like that's not foreign to me. That's just common sense stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, it was very, you know, they, they were okay with it, although they weren't going to start preaching it from, their, from the pulpit, right? But uh, one of the things that there was a guy who he like he every day carried. I mean, he had everything right. Uh, he had like uh, on his belt, he carried like knives and he had like, uh, you know, like a Leatherman. And he had uh, it's almost like Batman. He had like a utility belt and like he carried it around all the time. And so I brought this guy up to them, you know, and he's like, you know what? He might be a prepper because he always has everything that you possibly could need and, and, and those kinds of things. So my thing is like, look at people around your, your community or in your neighborhood who might be like that, who might, who might be gardening, who might be okay with firearms, who might be okay with second, you know, the, the second amendment is one of those things. Look at their stickers on their car. Do they have any pro, you know, second amendment stickers and those kinds of things on there? Uh, you know, do they, do they, you know, you bring up something like, uh, uh, even guys who carry a knife, you know, in there, a lot of people do, but that might be someone who is a little bit more apt to think that way, people who carry a knife in their like their front pocket, right, with a pocket clip, and I'm just trying to give you some things just to kind of look for, uh, as opposed to just kind of throwing it out there. Hey, anybody prep, you know, or anybody think it's a good idea to be prepping, um, you know. And the other thing is, I mean, I've written articles on this on on Prepper Church, and then when Prepper Church went down, I or I didn't renew the hosting, uh, I was able to grab the articles, and I need to go ahead and start posting them on Ed that matters. But uh, you know, maybe you start doing. Um, you know, churches are always looking for activities to bring people in. And one of the big things right now, when you look at homesteading and you look at, uh, you know, healthy living and things like that, people canning. So if you can, maybe you do a class on canning, right? And maybe you let the pastor know, hey, uh, I'd like to invite the community in for uh, a class on canning, you know, being healthy and whatever, you know. Or maybe you uh, ask your pastor if you can start a community garden. And if you, they have some land back there in the back of the property, you know, maybe we start a community garden and, and, and give rows away to people that are, uh, you know, that are in the community who want a garden and maybe they don't have the space for it, right? Let's go target people that that are in apartment complexes who don't have prop, you know, who don't have land, but they might want a garden, and we'll offer them a certain section, and then you know we'll have a section as well, and so we'll be out there and we'll be able to maybe evangelize them or at least you know talk to them about the Lord and invite them to church and different things like that, and maybe we offer that you know all per season on a per season basis, right? And so there's always type, those types of things that can that can you know that can happen. Hey, let's do a men's camping trip. Let's do a, a father son camping trip. And you go out there and you see the people that are a little bit more apt to uh, you know have the tents and and camp and people who are starting fires just just like that and people who are you know maybe have some ferro rods and you talk a little bit about starting a fire with the ferro rod and and maybe you get the boys together and you get some supplies and you you give them all a, a fire kit right they leave that weekend with a, their own fire kit and you teach them how to make a fire kit and so there's so many things you could possibly do and so uh, just you know if you're out there and you're looking for stuff maybe you do that Maybe it's not left up to some somebody else. Maybe it's time for you to do that. All right. Um, another issue will be how will your congregation respond to those asking for food or other assistance? Such requests will increase after a disaster and likely increase dramatically. Do you have a way to separate the legitimate request from those who simply don't want to work? Here's where a neighborhood church has an advantage. Chances are people in your church on your church church board will know who in your neighborhood has a genuine need and who has trouble getting out of bed on time or is wasting precious resources on alcoholic indulgences 
If you are a minister, you may want to get some training on caring for trauma survivors or counseling those with PTSD. It wouldn't cost much to buy a few books or caring for those with trauma or PTSD or on caring for those with trauma or PTSD. It may also be wise to be prepared to train members in helping those with trauma or PTSD because there will be many with those issues after a grid failure. Imagine how your church could be a blessing in your community if you trained a dozen people to help trauma victims in their families or circles of friends. Such care will help those individuals and families adjust to a different world. One can also download YouTube videos on helping people with PTSD as long as one takes precautions to protect your device from an EMP. In a grid-down scenario, schools will cease functioning, leaving a void for the education of children. I believe that churches could fill that need if one is willing to make some plans. Teachers today rely on the internet and a smart board for daily lesson plans. Imagine an elementary school using supplies and methods of a generation or two ago. That means using chalkboards, textbooks, pencils, and paper tablets. If your church prepares by buying such materials, it may not be hard to provide math, reading, writing, and U.S. history for kindergarten through fourth grade. There would be an adjustment period for teachers, students, and parents. Can a school function without buses, electricity, telephones, or internet access? Yes, if educators are willing to rely on methods of previous generations. If you wonder about the education of older children and teens, I believe that they will be needed to help supply water and food for their families because meeting our basic needs will require much more work and time. My parents grew up in the days when boys dropped out of school because they were needed on the family farm. Middle school and high schools will be seen as unnecessary luxuries that only a few can afford. However, I do see a future for apprentices to learn a skill. If you're a hunter, farmer, gardener, blacksmith, or seamstress who can train others in those skills, it could be a way to supplement your income. Church leaders will be challenged to show that faith, hope, and love can endure unimagined difficulties. With, when lifestyles change after a grid-down situation, there will be challenges and opportunities for pastors and churches that are prepared for a different world. Will your church and your pastor be ready? I'm afraid that there will be a lot of churches and a lot of pastors who are not ready. So many people who uh, are in the Bless Me Now club who are going to try to be you know, freaking out and uh, like what in the world is going on because they're uh, name it, claim it, and their Bless Me Now uh, prayers aren't, aren't working. And uh, that, that's something that definitely was never promised. You were never promised. You know, this world is a preparation for the next. And, uh, you know, when God looks at this world, he doesn't look at this. This is not the end all be all. He looks at this world and, he, and he's like, hey, this is a temporary, you, a temporary assignment. You are not of this world uh, if you are a believer in Christ. Hey, one last thing that I wanted to point out there is at the very end, we talked about education. I did write a book, a free ebook years ago called Education After the Collapse. There is a, a chapter there on, it's got like a fictional account. And then I talk about basic reading, basic math, a little bit of science. And so if that's something that you might be interested in, uh, you might want to download it and uh, just you know kind of file it away, maybe look it over. I think the fictional, uh, the fictional chapter, I think it's, it's good. I, I've heard good uh, feedback from that. You might want to go check that out. I'm going to link to that in the, the show notes, and you can go download that for free. Again, it's called Education After the Collapse, and uh, welcome you to, to download that. All right, guys, so uh, went went uh, long on that one, that article, and uh, on, the, on the other one as well, just given a lot of commentary, but it's stuff that I feel like I can uh, uh, I can talk about, and uh, you know, especially this church, the the church life aspect of it. Uh, hopefully, you do you are looking at um, you know something bigger than yourself, and uh, hopefully that that is a blessing to you. All right, guys, uh, thanks so much for being a part of episode 223 and starting off this week with me. I look forward to another week. I hope that you you guys uh, up north stay warm. Uh, the temperatures, we're going to be in the 60s down here in Houston, which is going to suck really bad because that sinus pressure, I'm already feeling the sinus pressure and uh, gonna, you know, I, I believe we're going to have a whole week of this, you know, and so uh, here we go. It's just, just the crazy weather and all this, all the while some of you are still freezing and, you know, your pipes are frozen and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, we'll keep you in our prayers and you keep us in our in your prayers and uh, we'll just keep moving forward and uh, prepping and staying aware. So with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. 
Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.